Welcome to the Compelling Words Podcast. The Word of God is meant to move us. It's meant to call us to action. Listen in as Kevin Purdy teaches and presents a genuine and compelling message from the Word of God. Most of you know that uh, our daughter Jessica lives in Tennessee. Uh, she lives down in Tennessee, and so we try to get down there a couple times a year. Uh, we'd like to get down there to see her, but you know, guess what? Tennessee, it's also a pretty good place to visit. <laughs> we like to get down there. We like to see her, but we also like to get down there because we like to hike. And I'm just going to preface that a little bit, because let me say this. Let me say that we like to hike, but we are single-digit hikers, That means we don't do the 10, 15, 20-mile hikes. That means we do the 5, 6, 7-mile hikes. This last time we went down, this fall, just a few weeks ago, I downloaded an app for my phone that was all about trails. And it would tell you, it would give you a location where the trails were located, and then it would give you a map of the trails. Um, so I had this app, and I thought, we're going to try this. So we had walked a couple trails that we already knew about, and then I looked on the phone on the app to find one. And I'm looking, scrolling through, and I come up with this trail, and it says, warning, this trail is not an official trail of the park, and it's not maintained by the park. It will be narrow, it will be overgrown, uh, hike it at your own risk. So I said, yes, that's the one I want to do. So I pitched the idea to my wife and she said, well, okay, I guess. So we took off and we followed the phone to get to the location of the trail. And we got there and it was kind of a little hard to find the actual trailhead, but we found it. And so we got geared up and ready and we went off and we are walking and it was narrow and it was kind of hard to uh, but we got about 20 minutes, 25 minutes into the hike, and I thought, maybe I ought to just check things. So I got out the phone, and I pulled up the map, and we're the little blue dot on the screen, and the trail is the red line. The problem is, the blue dot was not on the red line. <laughs> so we were off the trail. So we had to figure out what to do. We were, we were off course. We were going the wrong direction. We needed to stop. We needed to admit our mistake. And I'll just say right up front, Leanne was the one leading, so (laughs) we'll just say that. We needed to stop. We needed to admit our mistake. We needed to turn around. And then we needed to get on the right path, going the right way. That's what we needed to do, and that's what we did in that physical situation. We followed the phone and got the blue dot back on the red line and we got to where we needed to be. That's what we needed to do in that physical situation that we were in. Well, the Bible tells us that if we want to place our faith in Christ, if we want to go the right direction, if we want to get on the right path with God, then we need to do that same thing spiritually. Jesus said that there's a wide gate and a broad road that leads to a dead end. It's the wrong way. But there's a small gate 
and a narrow road that leads to life. That narrow road to life is salvation. And in order to walk that road, we need to repent. We need to look down at our map, which is the word of God. We need to realize that we are off course and we need to turn around and go the direction that God has called us to go. That's kind of what it means to repent. And that call to repentance is found all throughout the scriptures. You you remember Noah. Noah was called a preacher of righteousness. Noah urged the people in his day, and he called them to repent because judgment was coming. The Old Testament prophets were always pleading with the Israelites, calling them to repent of their sins and to return to God. Joel chapter 2, verse 12 through 14 says, Even now declares the Lord, return to me, repent with all of your heart, fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and rend your heart, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God. He's gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in love. John the Baptist preached for repentance in Matthew 3, 1 and 2. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. When Jesus began his ministry, he began calling for repentance. In Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. When the Christian church was first born after Jesus' death and resurrection, the church was called to accept the grace of God by repenting. Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In the final book of the New Testament, in the letters to the seven churches in Asia Minor, in Revelations chapter 2 and 3, there are eight times in those two chapters where repentance is emphasized and called for. Revelation 3, verse 19 and 20. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. It's all throughout the Bible. Old Testament and new. Over and over again. Repent. So what does it mean? What does it mean to repent? Well, the actual Greek word that's used in the original New Testament Bible is the word metanoia. And that word means to have another mind or to change the mind. It's very closely associated with an Old Testament word that means to turn. A minister and a professor by the name of J.W. McGarvey defined repentance like this. He said, it is a change of the will, a change of the mind caused by sorrow for sin and leading to the reformation of life. You see, our minds are changed, our will is changed because we have this sorrow for our sin and it leads us to a reformation, a reforming of our life. We change the way we think because we know the guilt of our sin and that leads us to shape our life 
in a whole new way. Notice that repentance is not just sorrow. Repentance is not just being sad. It's not just sorrow. You can have sorrow without repentance. The Apostle Paul wrote a couple letters to the Christians in Corinth. In the first letter, he kind of confronts them and rebukes them for their sin, and he's very bold about it. In the second letter, he admits that he's glad when he rebuked them in the first letter, he's glad because it made them sad. Here's what he says in 2 Corinthians. This is the second letter, chapter 7, verse 8 through 10. I am not sorry that I sent that severe letter to you, though I was sorry at first, for I know it was painful for you for a little while. Now I'm glad I sent it, not because it hurts you, but because the pain caused you to repent and change your ways. It was the kind of sorrow God wants his people to have. So you were not harmed by us in any way. For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. You see, Paul was not upset that he had confronted them about their sin. He felt like it was good because it upset them. It made them sorrowful. It made them sad. And because they were sad, it led them to repentance. And repentance leads to salvation. Paul talked about two different types of sorrow. There's two different types of sorrow. There's a good sorrow That leads us to repent. It leads us to change. And then there is a sorrow that doesn't. Think about these people in Corinth. When Paul called them out on their sin, they could have have gotten offended by that. They could have become offended by that. They could have become defensive. They could have got angry. They could have tried to excuse or justify their sin. Their sorrow could have turned them towards anger and even more towards rebellion. It could have. I remember one time, several years ago, I was talking with a friend of mine and the minister at his church. And in that conversation, I I mentioned something that I had done. Uh, It was something that I didn't necessarily consider sinful, Mostly because I just justified it. That Sunday I went to church with my friend and the minister made a reference about how often we try to justify sin. And he didn't give my name, but he used what I had told him as an example. There was a feeling that came over me that was not good. I was embarrassed, I was ashamed, and I was angry. I was mad that he would confront my sin like that and call it sin. I mean, didn't, I gave him the reason. I gave him the excuse why I, I did that. And, you know, that was a feeling that washed over me. But there was another feeling that was also right there. It was a subtle and soft acknowledgement of guilt. And I had to choose which feeling was I going to Listen to which feeling was I going to continue with? Was I going to continue to be angry and upset that he used my example? Even though he didn't give my name, he used my example as something that was wrong and sinful. Was I going to let that make me angry and upset? Or was I going to 
acknowledge that he was speaking truth. And I needed to hear that. This wasn't the first time, and it wasn't the last time, that the Spirit of God has called out my sin and led me to a position of repentance. A good and godly sorrow leads to repentance. It leads us to turn away from the wrong path and choose that narrow road. Repentance leads us to salvation. We need to know our sin and recognize that because of our sin, we are not where we are meant to be. And we cannot walk with God or be with God because of our sin. And we need to be willing to change that direction. We need to be willing to turn to change that direction and follow God. That initial repentance, that leads us to salvation. When we repent, change, follow God, that leads us to salvation. But we must acknowledge, we have to realize, and we all know this, repentance does not stop at that point of our salvation. Because even after salvation, we sometimes make wrong decisions. Is that not right? That is true. Even after salvation, we sometimes sin. We look down and we find out that we aren't walking on the right path. We've drifted. Once again, we need to repent. We, we had repented. We repented and we placed faith in Christ. We were saved by God. But sometimes that old enemy and this sinful world gets the best of us. And we mess up. And, and we, get, we give in. And we end up off course. So we come to that point again where we must repent. Not the initial repentance necessary for salvation, because we've already done that and we've already been saved. But a repentance that acknowledges our mistake and recommits our faith. Maybe we can think of it like this. As a parent, you are in a relationship with your children. And that relationship is fixed. It's a permanent thing. But if your children rebel and go against you, it puts a wedge, it puts a tension in the relationship. It hurts the relationship. The relationship is still there. You're still parent, they're still your children. The relationship is still there, but it's somewhat fractured or strained, and it needs restoration. We need, what we need is a sincere, heartfelt apology and the evidence of change. When we're in Christ, we don't repent to earn our way back to salvation. When we are in Christ, we repent to restore and recommit to the relationship. Repentance is that sincere, heartfelt apology to our Lord, our Heavenly Father. And repentance is evident then in how we conform our life to his will. As I mentioned a little earlier, John the Baptist was known for 
preaching repentance. I don't know if you've watched the series, the Chosen series, that uh, season one we watched together here at the church, season two has been out, and season two you meet John the Baptist, and I love it because Peter in the series keeps calling John the Baptist Creepy John. He always refers to him as Creepy John. Because John was a little known to be a little eccentric. He wore camel's hair and eat locusts and lived kind of wild. John the Baptist was known for being very bold, preaching repentance. He was known for confronting people who claimed to have faith, but their attitudes and their actions showed something different. And at one point in Matthew chapter 3, John calls the religious leaders a bunch of snakes. He calls them a bunch of snakes, and then he tells them this. He says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. The New Living Translation says, Matthew 3, 8, like this. Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Prove by the way that you live that you've repented of your sins and turned to God. You see, repentance is more than just sorrow and regret. It is a new direction. Do you remember when Jesus met a man named Zacchaeus? We just know, we only know a couple little things about Zacchaeus. We, we know that he was a rich tax collector, and tax collectors at that time were not very well liked because they, roomed, they worked for the Roman oppressive government, and they sometimes took their own fee off of the top of the taxes, so they would take the tax required, but then they would take the extra, whatever they charged for themselves, and it was just, it was not a good situation. So tax collectors were not liked. He was a rich tax collector, We also know that he was vertically challenged. Polite way to say that he was short. Jesus is coming through Jericho and Zacchaeus wanted to see him. There had been this stir, this buzz about this guy named Jesus. Zacchaeus had heard about it. He wanted to see him. So he climbed up in a tree to see him better. Jesus comes by, stops and says, Hey, Zach, I'm coming to your place for dinner. Is that cool? You know, and... Right there, the crowd's shocked. The crowd is shocked that Jesus would choose to associate with this man. But apparently Zacchaeus is so overwhelmed, he he welcomed him. And the crowd says, he's going to be the guest of that sinner? And in Luke 19, verse 8 through 10, it says, But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now some Bible scholars think that when Zacchaeus says, Here and now I give, they think that Zacchaeus may have already given to the poor and already paid back what he owed. Uh, But most Bible scholars think that this is actually a, a new promise, a commitment, a pledge that he's making. This is something Zacchaeus is committing to do. But whatever the case might be, it's obvious that Zacchaeus is making a change in who he is. He's repenting. And remember, repentance leads to salvation. Jesus saw the commitment of his heart. And Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house. Zacchaeus is a good example 
of a repentance that leads to a change. A man by the name of Lewis F. Corns said, Genuine repentance must bear the seal of a corrected life. But let's recognize something else. We need to recognize something else. Sometimes it looks different for different people. Sometimes repentance looks different for different people. Because the image of repentance, the image of repentance is an image of making a turn, turning around, changing directions. How quick and how easy that turn is depends on the circumstances. If you're walking and you're going to change direction, that's a fairly simple thing to do. You stop and you turn and you walk the opposite direction. If you're riding a bicycle, turning around is going to take a little bit more effort. If you're driving in a car 70 miles an hour down the interstate, it takes even more to get turned around. You see, if you're just a little ways off the right course, it doesn't take long to get back on track. If you've gone way off course, getting back takes a little longer. Sometimes our sin is relatively small. It's still sin and we still need to repent from it. But once we commit to make that change, it's just like walking a trail and turning around. Sometimes, however, our sin and our rebellion is a little more out of control. It's like racing down the highway the wrong way. Making that change is going to make, take a little bit more time and a little bit more effort. But it's sin, and it's got us going the wrong way at a high speed, so we do need to turn around. If you have prayed, if you have prayed, and you've repented, and you're honestly trying to change, but you just can't seem to get back where you need to be, don't give up. Keep praying. Keep fighting. Trust in the power of God. Philippians 1.6 says, He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Finally, uh, I love the Bible story of the prodigal. You know that story. Uh, because in that story, we, we see the heart of God. God is the Father standing on the front porch waiting and watching for his lost child to come home. It's a story of a man who has two sons, and his younger of his two sons asks for his inheritance money early. He gets it, he takes the money, and he runs. And the Bible says that he goes off to a distant, far country. He goes far off, and it says that while he was there, he squandered it all. He spent it in reckless and wild ways. And he ends up working on a pig farm. And he finds out as he's slopping the food to these pigs, he finds out that they're eating better than he is. And Luke 15, verse 17 through 20, says, When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. 
This is a story about repentance. This young man realized that he had made a mistake. He realized how foolish he had been, and he realized how far he had gone. He was out of line. He was off course. So he got up, and he went back home. You see, he left in rebellion, but he returned in repentance. And before he gets there, before he even gets there, his father sees him coming home. And he runs out to meet him. And before any words are even spoken, the father has wrapped his arms around his son. God is standing there, waiting and watching for you. He knows the mistakes. For some of you, your rebellion has taken you far away. And for some of you, maybe not as far. But you've still stepped away from his authority. It's time to repent. Maybe it's the first time that you will say you're sorry to the God who created you and gave you life and then offered grace through a sacrifice of Jesus. Maybe it's not the first time, but it is one more time to once again come back to God. Thanks for listening. Please take a moment to rate this podcast. May the Word of God be living and active in your life.